Welcome to the favorites, the podcast from the Action Network. I am Chad Millman. We have a massive show today because there are massive things happening in the world of sports. And you'd think like it's May, we're out of football season, we're out of March Madness, and that maybe the gambling world would slow down. But that's not how it works anymore because the first weekend in May has also become a massive, massive gambling weekend because there's always a massive fight. So there was Canelo and Daniel Jacobs this weekend. There's always the Kentucky Derby, uh, which made a little bit of news. And the NBA playoffs are so exciting and interesting. Um, it, it's brought a new level to me um, in terms of how I think people are engaging with the sport uh, because I think betting is having a big impact on it. Um, later on in the show, we're going to have uh, Colin Wilson and Stucky because also college football season win totals are popping up all over the place this past week. So we're going to dig into that. But first, we are going to talk about the NBA with Mr. Matt Moore from the Action Network. Matt, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing great, man. I'm here in Portland for the first time, enjoying the city and a stellar series between the Nuggets and Blazers. It's been really fascinating. You've never been to Portland before? I hadn't been able to make it out. Like I've been to so many Western Conference cities and, and, and honestly, most of them in the East as well. But for whatever reason, like this one had just slipped through my fingers. So I checked off another one this weekend. That's awesome. Like I'm surprised given that you're, you know, out there in the hinterlands of Colorado. Uh, Portland's amazing. And this is a great series. Here's my frustration with this series. And we're going to talk about all the series. We're going to talk about the Warriors and the Rockets. We're going to talk about, obviously, the Nuggets and the Blazers, the Raptors and the Sixers, which is becoming incredibly fascinating because of Kawhi. And uh, obviously the Celtics and the Bucks. Let's start with the Nuggets and the Blazers who played another epic game last night, 116-112. This is Monday morning. They played last night, Sunday. Um, the Blazers, the, the total on this game was 215. It closed at 210. Everyone was betting the under because of that massive uh, quadruple overtime game the other night. The Nuggets are an incredibly frustrating team to watch. I feel like they, they are, what, the eighth youngest team in the playoffs in NBA history. And I feel like they play like their age. Tons of passes thrown cross court that make me nervous every time I see them go in the air. But I also feel like they just drive to the basket with no real plan. And half the time it feels like they miss the layup or the ball gets stripped or they lose control of the ball, jumping into a, a forest of players. Am I wrong? Tell me what I'm missing here. I think you're right, except that you've confused the Denver Nuggets with just Jamal Murray. That's that's really if there's one prop that I wish that we could get on um, for not probably game five, but for game six, it would be Jamal Murray turnovers and take the over on that. Um, Murray dribbles and just into trouble more than almost any point guard because he doesn't have elite quickness. His first step is not like top level. And so he struggles getting around when you apply pressure on him, even with the big. Like Enos Kanner comes up on him and he can't turn the corner on him baseline. And so a lot of what you're talking about is, you know, they'll come over the screen and try and hedge a little bit uh, with another guy coming over to, to stop Jokic on the trigger. And the, and most point guards are going to turn the corner on Kanner, get underneath. And then when they're underneath, if there's not a shot, they're going to loop back around for what's 
commonly referred to as the Nash loop, which is you zip under the bat, the baseline, come out the other side, turn around, and take a jumper. But Murray doesn't have that in his skill set yet because he's 22. And so, you know, his conversion to point guard has always been a little difficult. He thinks that he's a point guard. Everyone else is kind of like, well, you're kind of a point guard. But it's a good thing that Jokic, you know, is able to pass the way that he does. Their execution can look brilliant at times. Their execution can look dangerous at times. Um, they always it, – it's this roller coaster with the Nuggets living on the edge of everything. You mentioned that total, which I thought was really fascinating. And, and actually like all of the, the media were like fascinated when I was telling them about how that had moved because it moved back to 210 and sat there until late yesterday. And then that, the, it just got the, uh, the over got hammered. And that's when I got in on it. Cause I was, I was into the over as well because I knew that this was, if there was one thing that was going to happen coming off of four overtimes, if the legs were shot, nobody was going to play defense. And there was some good defense played last night, but the, I just think both teams actually just really stepped it up offensively. Well, it's interesting. You look at 210, you think, is this really going to be a 106-104 game? Like, no. In 2019? Yeah. In 2019? With, with yeah. the Denver Nuggets and Dame Lillard and Jokic and Jamal, Jamal Murray hoisting every chance he gets? Like... There's just no way possible. So 210 seemed like an automatic take in the over. It's interesting you say that their legs would be tired because a lot of people were making that about, all right, the shooting's not going to be as good. The scoring will be lower. No one talked about the fact that no one was going to be playing defense in that game. Yeah, well, except us. We had uh, it over at Action Network, and, and yeah, we talked about how that that's really the key there is when you when you're worn down, your lateral mobility is kind of the first thing to go. Like veterans have told me this, that when you're, when you're running on short legs, it's really hard to get yourself up to hedge laterally the way that you have to in order to contain guards. And so that gives a penetration. And honestly, you saw it with Portland last night. I thought Portland looked more tired than Denver because Denver was sliding past them and driving, kicking. There were sequences where the Nuggets, I think, ran like six consecutive driving kicks. Uh, and that's just too much perimeter penetration to try and contain. Eventually, somebody's going to get open and have a good look. And, you know, Denver was able to hit enough of their shots and, and crash the glass last night. That's the other key is, you know, I thought Enos Canner looked really worn out because the Nuggets absolutely just crushed them on the offensive glass. And when you're getting the second chance points, you can't, you can't let Denver have any sort of edges offensively because they've got too many weapons and too much firepower. That's what's kind of crazy about the series is, the Blazers have Damian Lillard and C.J. McCollum, who, by the way, McCollum's having just an absolutely incredible series. I'm ready to just hammer the over on his points every single night. Um, but Denver has more firepower because they're more evenly distributed and because Jokic makes the most of it on every single possession. He is amazing. He is stunning to watch. And even when he is sort of just casually making a pass in their half-court offense— the way he scans the floor and it's the, the fast twitch muscles in his arms and wrists, like the, the way the synapses fire from his brain to the rest of his body, he doesn't need to have a better body. He doesn't need to run faster because his mind is working so quickly and his body is able to translate that at a pace like, I wish we could measure that because that might be better than anyone else in the NBA. And the playoffs, I think, are all about that, too. That it, it's The mental stuff is really what stands out. Like People will always wonder, like, why isn't this guy playing? Why isn't this guy playing? He was so important in the regular season. And the answer is usually like, well, 
he's not basketball smart. Like, you can be a really a smart person off the floor and just be a complete dodo on and quite the opposite as well. Um, but if you make mistakes, like, that's killer in a playoff game. You know, I, the, I'm actually writing about this for action. I got some quotes last night talking to, to folks about there's a play with about, about 114 left in the game where they ran clock. Murray got stymied because he couldn't get around anybody. He passed to Jokic. Jokic fakes the dribble handoff. And he turns around and he's got a shot. And like nine, 99% of the, the league is going to take that mid-range jump shot. I'm going to can this jumper and we're going to win. And he hesitates. He waits. He nods towards the rim. Harris sees it. Immediately makes a cut. Jokic delivers a perfect pass. Floats it over. Harris finishes and one. Like everyone talked about Murray's free throws. and That kid did have ice in his veins. But... That pass from Jokic is, is just so indicative of what he brings to the game. His patience to recognize down the clock, if I wait here, I'm going to have an, a, a chance for a better play, making this pass the only I could make, getting it to Harris for an M1. So the theory in, in betting on the NBA and betting on a series is often you bet on the player, you bet on the star player who is going to be the best player on the court. Right. And that's sometimes how you judge whether or not you want to bet on a series. Is Jokic the best player on the court between these two teams? Is he better than Lillard? So the way I always kind of frame it is there's better in terms of overall skill ability. um, And then there's better in terms of impact. And Kevin Durant is a better player than Steph Curry. Steph Curry has a lot more impact. Quick plug, also write about that for Action Network today. Um, what's crazy in this series, though, is that when Jokic is on the floor, the Nuggets are something like plus 19 in net rating, and they're like a minus nine when he's on the bench. Essentially, like they kill Portland in every minute that, that Jokic is on court, and they get smoked whenever he sits down. And right. with Dame, you know, he's having a rough series. Um, they actually asked him about that last night. Um, Royce Young, my old colleague uh, from CBS who works at ESPN, asked about how they're crowding kind of Lillard space and Malone because Michael Malone is uh, thankfully a really kind of transparent and open guy was like, you know, we watched the film and we saw OKC was giving Lillard too much space, which is like, he's like, it's not a knock on OKC. That's just what they chose to do. Although all of us were like, it's absolutely a knock on OKC. Why would they do this? It was so dumb. Um, They're crowding Lillard a lot more and he's still getting points, but it always feels like a non-impactful scoring they lose from from Dame. I think Dame's probably going to have a say in the series by the time it's done, but the best player in the series has unquestionably been Jokic. Jokic has probably been, honestly, behind Durant, uh, Kawhi, and and maybe Dame in that first-round series, but I don't know anymore considering how it's gone the second round. He's been three or four in the best players in the playoffs, and for a guy his age, with his skill set, with his body type, um, it's absolutely incredible. Do you think, and you're in Denver, so you're in Colorado and you're like, you follow the Nuggets closely. Do you think during the off season, Jokic commits to getting in even better shape? And I'm not, I'm not using this in a pejorative way. I have no idea what his regimen is like. I have no idea like how good his stamina is. I'm basing it entirely on the fact that, you know, he's kind of a doughy looking dude. And so do you think he needs to be a more muscular guy in order to be even better, or would that not make a difference? Would that just be optics? 
I don't think so. Um, so they, he had a quote the other day talking about his weight, and he was actually like, honestly, I'm a little light right now. He was like, I'd like to add a little bit of weight um, for how he plays. I, he hasn't been in a series where anybody's been able to play him off the floor. Um, that's going to change as he gets older. I think as he gets older, he's definitely going to have to make adjustments. But for right now, like he's got the lung capacity. He's got the energy. Part of what's, what's been important in the series is you look at him and you're just like, that guy can't do anything on defense. He's too, he's too doughy and slow. But he's better in this series because versus San Antonio, they can play him at the level of the screen, which means like, he's better attacking guards up front than he is like having to hang back and trying to contain. When you get him downhill, like Dame has several times in this series, he's toast. But when he's up and attacking you aggressively at the level, trying to hedge you sideways, he's actually really good and impactful. He's gotten much better there on defense. Um, I think actually he's going to be the same way. He was kind of like caught off guard and annoyed by all the talk about the endurance. He was like, it's fine. He's like, I'm in good shape. It's okay. And I think he may be one of those guys where like he looks that way. But look, after 65 minutes, most, most that we've seen in a long time on, on Friday night, he turns around and has another gem of a game last night and plays heavy minutes. And I think at this point, he's earned the benefit of the doubt to be like, I don't think he needs to do anything else. Like, I think he's good. I think, I think Jokic can handle it um, no matter how he looks. Well, look, he's 24 years old, right? And so, like, he could play 65 minutes one night and come back two nights later and play a boatload of minutes right. and be as dominant as he is. Right now, the series is tied 2-2. It's going back to Denver. Um, the Nuggets in Game 5 are... Four and a half point favorites. This game opened at two twelve. It's been bet up to two twelve and a half. Been bet up to two thirteen and a half. Are you buying Denver for the rest of the series? I like the series price. You're getting them at minus one forty five right now, and with two games at home out of a possible three, I think that probably sets up best for Denver. Um, Portland's extended the series on the backs of guys like Enos Cantor and Rodney Hood. And Zach Collins, and you can get games out of those guys in limited spurts. The problem is, is as these series go on, those guys that gave you surprisingly good minutes, that's when they start to fade. And you know the Nuggets, I think, have more guys that you can kind of count on. The Nuggets, I think, have gotten better as the series has gotten long, gotten on, even after starting out one zero, um, and even after that that real heartbreaker four OT. Like they played really great in that four OT and just couldn't get the breaks to fall their way. So I like Denver for the series at minus one forty five. I gotta think on that four and a half line. You know, I think it's. I wish it had opened like a, a little bit tighter. Um, yeah. And with Dame, I'm always because, like you saw it last night, like the Blazers just made them, like just force them to stretch it out. I do think um, that more and more, I'm liking the over. Um, there's been a couple of surprises there, but like part of it is you just have to kind of factor. All right, let's 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 bet on standardized offensive shooting performance, right? Like last night was easy because it was a super low line. Um, and like I said, like the, the legs were going to be tired on defense. But I think that you know go, this has been an offensively tilted series if you look at kind of the advanced metrics, and I think that Portland wants to get out and kind of push, and Denver, Denver especially since game three, has been on a mission to get out. He, that's why Jokic is throwing those baseball outlets on almost every rebound. They want to push pace. And so if they keep attacking, I think that the totals are going to get out there. Um, I'm going to think long and hard, especially about the Nuggets team total over, which I think is, is at uh, 107.5, either 107 or 109. I think I'm going to be on that in particular. 
You love, love, love team total overs. I do. I do. Being able to, to target, it gives you a little bit of, I think, also, if you're, if you, if you're trying to think of third and you're like, I think this team's going to win, but I'm not sure about the line. But they're gonna, if they're going to win the game, they're going to probably put up a higher number. Uh, and the free throws at the end are going to probably bump it up a little bit. Uh, and they're going to be a team that fortunate stuff happens for. You know, like uh, I'm, I'm being real – I'm also playing the opposite. Like I'm on the Bucks on the under uh, in one of these games coming up because I think that Boston's going to respond defensively with Marcus Smart. And with that kind of a, of a layout – those are the kind of things I'm factoring in. I've just had more success by these team totals than getting stuck where you're like, I nailed it. This team killed it offensively. Oh no, they're up 20 in the fourth quarter and they're sitting everyone with five and their bench is terrible. I've gotten hung on the Raptors like four times in these playoffs uh, with the team totals or with the combined totals just because of those weird outlier performances. So I'm trying to control as many of the variables in the NBA, which everyone knows is such a hard sport to bet. That's when I'm trying to control as many variables as possible. All right, so let's talk about Kawhi. Uh, I want to focus, actually, before we do that, we're going to focus mostly on Raptors, Sixers, and Nuggets, Blazers, because we're recording this on Monday morning. Bucks, Celtics, and um, Warriors, Rockets play tonight. But I do want to say, let's say that we both believe the Nuggets are going to advance. Do they have any chance in your eyes against the Warriors or the Rockets? Both of those teams, to me, seem like they just play at a more mature, different level than either of the teams that we're watching right now. The teams we're watching right now feel like incredibly energetic, young teams that have so much talent, but they don't know how to control it yet, whereas the other teams feel like they're playing a much different level of basketball. So I'm going to find ways to doubt myself, and I'm trying really hard not to overthink the Western Conference Finals. Like, I'm prepared to get in. If it's Warriors, I'm prepared to get in on not only the Warriors to win the series, but to, to look very seriously at Warriors and four. I'm probably going to put a bigger chunk down on Warriors and five because they love to give you one. The Warriors love to give teams like, ah, here you go. We're, it's fine. We'll close it out, Oracle. It's cool. Um like that's that's already where I'm going to be. Uh, Houston has just been the nightmare matchup for Denver. Uh, I don't honestly believe that Houston is that much better than Denver. I think they they've built their team to match up well with the Warriors, so we're all like, well, they match up well with the best team, so they must be also as good a team. And I'm just not sure that that's the case. If it's Houston Denver, though, the matchups just go all the way. Everything that Denver has working for them versus Portland, and the series is still going at least six, if not seven games. Um, is the opposite, where Denver just has zero matchup advantages versus the Rockets. So I'm going to be looking very, very heavily at, at series prices for, for you know, Rockets in four, Rockets in five, Warriors in four, Warriors in five. And I'm going to just basically trust that the Nuggets, as much as they've surprised me this year, don't have that kind of surprise in them. All right. Speaking of surprises, the Philadelphia 76ers are so up and down, right? Are they the team that can blow you out? Are they the team that's going to lose by 20? Are they the team that's going to get dominated by Kawhi? Like, who is this team right now? I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that, you know, Embiid was sick yesterday. And that was kind of underreported when he played before that game. Uh, And I think that that had a huge impact on how that one played out, where if he's not right, 
Like they're really dependent on him to open everything up. Butler can force some issues, but with Butler, he's trying very. It's a lot of it's hero ball stuff, and he can make it happen because it's really good. But I think your your chances kind of diminish. Like we said going into the series that you know the Raptors had all these tactical advantages, and that's still kind of true. When you watch them play out, you're like, wow, the Raptors have a lot of edges here. But the Sixers have basically they they run fast, they jump high, they make shots. And like that, and they're and they're tall, and that's it's this weird kind of balance between the Raptors' execution and the Sixers' physical advantages. And I think that's one of the reasons that you see this up and down, where when the Raptors settle in and they actually execute, they're able to, to control these games the way they did in one and four. And when the when the Raptors don't do that, it looks like the Sixers are just running all over them. Uh, I feel like in this series, the Raptors still have control in that. If the Raptors do what they need to do, they can win these games. They can take care of business. The Sixers need the Raptors to underperform, I think, to win the series. And they underperform massively in two and three. Um, it's why I'm, I'm real cautious with the series from a betting perspective, because I don't feel like I can trust either team. I can't trust the Sixers to win a game in which the Raptors play well, and I can't trust the Raptors to play well. So I've been very hesitant about this one, I think, because of all those variables. Is it the same philosophy then? Kawhi Leonard is going to be the most dominant player on the court. Do you just bet on Kawhi Leonard if you're going to bet on this series? I think you're going to bet on Kawhi Leonard. I think you're going to bet on home court. I think you're going to bet on, you know, a standardized uh, Lowry performance. Like, we have to believe that game three was, like, the lowest point for Kyle Lowry in this series. And, Lowry found a lot of ways to, to sink below those notions in, in previous playoff series. Um, but if, if he just has like a normal game, just like, ah, he's fine, then that's a just, that's huge for Toronto. When he's horrible, <laughs> the bottom drops out. Uh, Marcus Saul has had a bad series. I think he's probably got a better game in him. Um, I do think that, you know, the bench remains a really big edge for the Sixers. Like, I'm going to continue to bet the second, the second period on, on Philly consistently because of their bench edge, which everyone was kind of, I think, misinformed on that. Everyone was talking about, oh, the Raptors are deeper. And I'm like, what what have you been watching? Like the Raptors have, they traded all of their great bench players from last year, and it's been a train wreck. And the Sixers have kind of cobbled together enough bench players and have the depth now to kind of stagger their starters. So that's like the only real edge. I think that, you know, Kawhi's a big edge in this series, and he was just, he's just been incredible. Like every single possession you're sure you're like, that's going in, splash, that's going in, splash. You watch him and you never expect him to miss. Um, if he has an off game, they're in real trouble. No team is maybe more dependent on him, but he's also been so consistent. So at some level, I think you have to bank on the guys. Like This kind of goes back to Portland-Denver as well. Jokic has been consistent. He's just, every single night, he's given you at least 17, if not 25, and he's given you, you know, at least seven assists, if not 11. And he's given you at least 10 rebounds. Like, you're getting these consistent performances from dudes. I think those are the guys maybe that you want to target to follow. All right. So, do we think that the Raptors are a better team than the Bucks? I'm handicapping the Bucks are going to beat the Celtics. We end up with a Raptors, Raptors Bucks Eastern Conference final. We end up with a Nuggets. Warriors, let's say, Western Conference Final. A, 
are there any high-profile enough teams? We know we got Kawhi. We know we get Giannis that will make this interesting for a finals matchup that everyone's going to want to watch because it might just be the Warriors. I think, especially for for our audience, like I'm I'm hoping and praying for that Bucks Warriors finals um, because the Warriors will 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 get a disproportionate line considering where the money's going to come in. Because a casual better is going to hammer Golden State, being like, "Oh no, no, there's no way Milwaukee's beating them." Um, Marcus Thompson in the Athletic had a great piece when the Bucks beat them earlier in the in the year, and it was basically about if you want to build a team to beat the Warriors, take a look at the Bucks, because it's, the Warriors have a hard time ever being like, "No one guy is ever going to beat us." That's why they, they're not really worried about Houston. Is they're like, Harden's good, but he's not going to beat us. He just doesn't have it. But they look at Giannis, and they're like, we can't do anything with him. <laughs> we can't physically handle him. And with most guys like that in the league, they're like, all right, well, we'll just crash in, and we'll just make sure you know, he, they don't have the shooting to, con- to keep up with us. But the Bucks do have the shooting. So like, I'm hoping for that Bucks warriors finals because I think it would be the best. Um, and also, I think that the value would be really good on Milwaukee to upset Golden State. Um, I continue to believe I'm, I'm watching a lot of this from from Game Three, and you know, we'll see. He's, you know, we're recording this on Monday. The Warriors may take care of business and and look great in Game Four um, versus Houston, but there's still there's a lot of body language. And when you talk to people around the league, this stuff is consistent. Of I just think Golden State's ready to be done. I just think they're worn out. I think they're tired of dealing with one another, especially Kevin Durant. I think they're tired of the drama. I think they're exhausted from the run. I think they're ready for something new. I think the first team that really hits them in the mouth, they're going to be like, you know what, screw it, we're done. Uh, And I just don't know who's going to be able to pull that off, but I do think that Milwaukee has a serious chance to do that. All right, here's my final question for you. You did this so well last time that I'm bringing it back. The 86 Celtics versus the 96 Bulls. Hmm. We, we NBA 2K'd that the other day. Give me the handicap, who's favored, by how much, and break it down for me. All right, so Bulls are going to be favored. They're going to have home court. Um, they're probably going to be, I would say, let's put them at... Honestly, that one's probably going to be at closer to um, minus. That's going to be minus four and a half. Oh my god, I was thinking bold. four. Yeah, it's going to be bulls minus four and a half because I think home court gets them an extra, you know, point point and a half there. And I think that you know Jordan himself is probably like this is one of the things that I really want to someday have the resources for us to find out is like how much was Jordan worth to the line. Like if if LeBron's we know that we know for a fact that like LeBron's worth between three and five depending on the matchup. Um, so what was Jordan like? If Jordan was out, is that like a six point swing on the line? Like these are the questions that I think are, are really fascinating to go back and try and answer. Um, the the key here is that Boston is so that eighty six team is so interior oriented where you've got Parrish and you've got McHale, um, but the Bulls have such great defenders inside. Like, they're going to have so much. You know, Rodman's able to guard any of those dudes, even with the size disadvantage. Like, they're just going to be able to do it. Um, they've got so many guys that they can kind of throw at them. And I just think that the perimeter attacks, like, I don't know. 
this is one of the keys is, you know, Bird was good defensively, but was limited in terms of his mobility. What's he going to do versus Pippen? Like, who are they going to hide him on? I think that's a real issue. Um, but I will say that, like, when you look at um, kind of the deeper guys for the Bulls, like Steve Kerr and some of these other guys and Ron Harper, I think those are guys where the Celtics on the edge with Dennis Johnson are probably going to have a little bit of an advantage. Um, I would probably take the Celtics to cover and the Bulls to win versus that four-and-a-half line. I love that breakdown. I completely agree 100%. Here's what else. Here's what, here's what we're going to do. We are going to create an all-time NBA value against the point spread ranking. Yeah, we got to do that. That's great. We got to do that. We're going to talk about that today. I'm going to figure out how to do that today, Matt Moore. You're way too busy. You're in Portland. Uh, you got to go to Voodoo Donuts if you haven't gone there already. And um, have a great time covering the playoffs for the Action Network. You're also recording five minute lines for the NBA action for the Action NBA podcast every day. People need to listen to that because it is all of this incredible NBA analysis um, summarized for your ears. Thanks for coming on the podcast today, Matt Moore. I appreciate you getting up early. Thanks for having me, man. Good luck the rest of the way. We are back on the Favorites Podcast with two of my favorites. They're the host of the Action Network Colleges podcast, which, honest to God, including the favorites, may be the best podcast we do. Smartest conversation, most enraged fans, um, knee-deep on, on literally every small podunk team that you can make a bet on throughout college basketball and college football. Colin Wilson, senior writer for the Action Network, Stucky, whatever he wants to be for the Action Network. Hello, boys. What's going on, Chad? It's, uh, hey, guys. I appreciate the kind words. And look, it's, it's a lot of work that we put in the podcast, but things that turn out well, I think, any, no matter what you're talking about, usually people love them. And like, I honestly could speak for myself and say I love doing it. I know Colin does too. Like, I legitimately miss doing that podcast twice a week, and I can't wait until you know, July, August rolls around and we can start it back up again. And, and the we're hardest stuck. part for us is the hardest part is us cutting each ourselves off. Like we're trying to make a compact podcast, but literally we could talk for three to four hours about every team in FBS. Yeah, that's what's stunning. Like, and, and even you know, and, and for people who are new to the Action Network or new to this podcast, like when you guys when we did these um, the periscopes, the live periscopes on Saturday mornings, like I remember opening weekend, you were talking about the line on a. Uh, Stony Brook game and you had legit analysis or like I remember in the college's podcast for college basketball you were sweating a Jackson State Tennessee Martin game when it started and not only were you sweating it everybody in the podcast had made the bet independent of each other that's the Mm -hmm. level of analysis that you guys bring I, I think it's interesting that most people think that the generic game of the week is the Hawaii game, but not for Stuck and I. It's Colgate. It's Incarnate Word. Like, we're, we're everywhere. All right, so let's get to it, though, because uh, the reason I wanted you guys on is because um, the last few weeks, I know that, Colin, you were about this back in March on Action Network, but the last few weeks we've started to see more and more places roll out with uh, college football season win totals. Colin, last year at this time, you pegged Clemson as the team to beat uh, for the college football national championship. Um, 
So I want to get into it right away. Like, tell me, you're looking at the board right now. Where's your yep. future value? Who are you thinking about? So Clemson, for me, it was it was easy to say, listen, Trevor Lawrence is the explosive factor. They need to beat Alabama. But you know what? Behind that was a defense that was just going to be out of this world. It was going to be drafted in the NFL draft, everybody in the first round. Uh, so it was easy to back that statement up about Clemson when you had a defense like that. We don't have a defense. At least I haven't identified one that's going to be able to dominate other teams. You think of Georgia two years ago with Roquan Smith. He was the nickelback that just roamed the field and was able to shut Oklahoma down and uh, I have not identified a defense like that. So everybody has an excellent offense. Oklahoma is going to have a, a worldly offense. Clemson's going to have an unbelievable offense. You know, uh, I think people are not talking about Auburn. Uh, they are quietly, I mean, uh, Malzahn's got a chip on his shoulder. They have a redshirt freshman quarterback, Joey Gatewood. And mark my words, that kid is the Cam Newton protege. He looks just like Cam Newton. Uh, he runs an RPO power set. Uh, so I think there's going to be a lot of dynamic offenses, but we haven't yet identified the one defense in college football yet that's going to be able to stabilize our team and get them through the playoffs. So there's definitely, I think Oklahoma is a team that people are just discounting, but with Alex Grinch coming in at defensive coordinator, that's going to be, you know, they are true national championship contenders this year. Stuck, do you have anything to add to that? Yeah, I mean, look, the team that we had targeted, I think Colin would 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 agree with this take. The team that we both had targeted right when the odds came out, actually, when we were sitting at Westgate, uh, was on Georgia. Uh, and, you know, talk mm-hmm. about a team that is going to be motivated more than any to beat Alabama this year if those two teams meet up again. Um, you know, they lost some guys that I were hoping would come back, but I still love their roster. I mean, look – the same, the same players are going to end up being there. I mean, even if you look at Alabama this year, Colin talked about their offense. I mean, they're not conference schedule. They'll start with Duke, and they play New Mexico <laughs> State. They play Southern Miss. They play Western Carolina. I mean, this is one of. I mean, this schedule is is very conducive for them being right back in the playoff. You expect, you know, some of your major players again. But there's something about Georgia that just you know when they lost that game with the fake punt. Alabama that you just yep. that they're going to have a chip all season long with Kirby and you know I think they're down to eight to one which isn't the best value but maybe if they you know if you can find a ten to one out there but there's something about Georgia you would agree Colin right I, I absolutely agree we got the twelve to one when it came out it's down to eight to one the better value right now is plus two fifty on the SEC championship it's I wouldn't go for the eight to one I take the plus two fifty on Georgia to win the SEC and Stuck's right do you know why they went for a fake field goal against LSU and do you know why they had a fake punt in the SEC championship game. Because Kirby didn't trust his defense. Now, he's got a lot of players, some that were injured last year, some that redshirted last year, and they haven't identified their Roquan Smith. They've said out in public, we are looking for another Roquan Smith to lead this defense. They will be playing with a chip on the shoulder. Same as Gus Malzahn will for Auburn. I don't like Alabama this year at all. Now, I mathematically can't justify it, you know, because I've got them at 11.4, and their win total is at 11. And Stuck is right. They play these teams that just sets them up non-conference wise. They get, they always have this cake schedule. I mean, Duke, I mean, I mean, that's, that's ridiculous, but they do have to go to Texas A&M and they do have to go to Mississippi State. And Auburn is the one hosting, uh, the Iron Bowl this year, but there's just so much change with the coordinators. Uh, Steve Sarkeesian is back as the offensive coordinator. I mean, 
if he's so great, why did he leave after the national title loss to Clemson? And then they did go get a rising star in Pete Golding uh, uh, from UTSA. Shout out to Meet Meet there. Uh, he's their new defensive coordinator, but he's a defensive backs guy. He coaches, he coaches corners and safeties, and that's not where Alabama's problem is. Alabama's problem is that they were getting gashed on the ground in the front seven, so they haven't resolved that issue whatsoever. I'm not taking any Alabama futures. I, I don't. I, the number is overpriced. They shouldn't be at the same price as Clemson for the national title. I wouldn't take them over 11. I wouldn't take them to win the SEC. At some point, this Saban regime is going to come to an end. Mathematically, can I prove it right now? No, but I can tell you that that whole story about where the F is Dan, which is what Saban said when he came in looking for Dan Enos, his offensive coordinator, and couldn't find him because he'd already cleaned out his office and went down to Miami. Uh, there are just things in this Saban regime that are just not gelling. And now you've got all these players in there that weren't recruited by these coordinators. I'm not having any part of Alabama futures. Are they still talented? Yes. But I, I don't – I see it coming to an end. Yeah, but Colin, how I would rebut that is – and I agree with you that there, there's no value in taking them futures. And I do like that Georgia to win the SEC. My problem with, you know – calling the Alabama not going to the playoff this year is because of that schedule. Yes, they have all that turnover, but it's not like they're playing, you know, another legit Power 5 team in their non-conference early where they can suffer a loss and then suffer a loss later in the season, and then all of a sudden they're out. I mean, with that non-conference, and then, you know, I mean, maybe they trip up at Texas A&M on October 12th, but other than that, you don't really find any losses you know, until late in the season, or maybe they are starting the gel, and then two of their last three games are at Mississippi State and at Auburn, and then you know potentially the SEC championship game. But maybe they solve a lot of those issues. And I think the, them not having any real tough non-conference game, I think, is going to you're going to have Alabama right back in the conversation. All right, and so now we're getting I, to. Hold on, hold on one sec. Hold on. This is the favorites podcast. It's not the Action Network <laughs> Colleges podcast. It's been a while, Chad. We were tra- we had a lot yep. to get out. I'm glad I could bring you two together. And normally, you know, you know, you guys know my management style. I really like to just put people in the room and then get out of the way and let them do their magic. Um, you know, I've got a hands-off approach. But in this particular case, um, I hear Matt Ford laughing in the background there, and I know that you're laughing in like a sinister way and not in a "Oh, Chad, he's funny" kind of way. Um, Ford, are you there? I'm here. Okay. Um, well, Chad does come into every meeting. He's in, he said he was invited in every meeting in the company. I, f- I feel like I come into every meeting and, and like feel like I stir the pot a little bit. I always feel like I end up leaving the meeting better than when it began. Oh, no, I would really agree with you, but I was saying that's not the most hands-off approach, going to every meeting. Chad huh. is saying that he is a walking value add to every meeting. I would agree with huh. that. I am going to put that in my own self-assessment. Hey, um, Colin, like, how do you do this? Explain mm-hmm. to people how you make these assessments um, on these college teams so quickly. Because it's not it's May now, but you were thinking about this back in March. Like, what from the time the season ends, what are you doing to get yourself ready? Because you see these as real opportunities and real value. Yeah, I mean, to, to clarify, it wasn't March. It was Stucky and I sitting at the Westgate during the national championship, and I was finishing up some numbers, and I told him, I said, Georgia, that's a bad number. Let's go up and go get it. So this happens pretty fast. I try to be as transparent as possible because I think everybody should build their own power rating base, and here's how I do it. 
I look at second-order win totals because that tells you who was lucky the year before. There's always regression in that. I look at net turnovers. Uh, those, you know, those stats are widely available the second the season is over. Uh, returning production is a big deal. Now, it's not the only thing. I'm not – I mean, I got kind of got – someone says, oh, he's just looking at, you know, the number of starters that return. That's not the only thing. Returning production and your skill positions is important, but it's just a factor. It's not the only thing that determines these, these uh, power rating numbers and these win totals. And then you have to look at regression to the mean of your, of your power rating number. I'll give you an example. A couple of years ago, Notre Dame finished four and eight. They dropped something like 16 points in their power rating. Does that mean that they should start the next season 16 points off their general power rating? The answer is no. They should be bumped back up a little bit. So, uh, really I get into the havoc and I haven't said it yet on this podcast. Let's get it started in 2019. I look at explosiveness. Who is coming back that creates havoc on defense, that is explosive on offense, in their returning production? And that's what builds a power rating. And once you have power ratings, you can build your entire 2019 schedule. You get win probabilities for individual games. You have 12 games on the slate. You add those win probabilities together, and there you go. That's how you come up with something like, I think Miami's going to win 7.99 games. You love explosiveness. Oh, my God. In the green zone. Uh, yeah, to add to Colin too that there, there's also a you know because that's the modeling portion of it, and I always say this to people mm-hmm. like there's an art and a science to handicapping. So like there's always there's also a feel and like there's a tangible benefit. There'll be modeling people that would argue this to death. That there's not. I would argue forever that there is value in watching these games, understanding these teams, and then that's when you make you know just because your wins. A Commonwealth test that's just because your win total, your mathematical win total adds up to seven point nine nine, but and the over unders at seven, that doesn't necessarily mean you'll bet the over. It sounds right. counterintuitive, but you know, there's you know, you, I, there's certain spots, there's certain situations that you might not like, there might be a culture thing or something you don't like about the you know, the, you're just adding up the probability. So there's also the feel going into the season, the offseason, then during the season from watching and then knowing these programs as well, which is why I think it's beneficial to just watch. And this is with every sport with me, watch as much as I possibly can. But let me wrap that back into feel of the market. Now, there's another art to this. It's not just a model. It's not just a number. Let's take Nebraska over eight. That's the number that's currently out there on their win total. Now, I've got it at 7.2. So you would ask, like, Colin, why haven't you gone to the window and taken under eight on Nebraska's win total? It's because I know at this point, at this point in the calendar year, there's three months of people that are going to line up to buy Nebraska over just because of the name Scott Frost. But I got news for you. They lost everybody on defense, and everybody that's coming in to play the defense has to learn that brisky 3-4 that Eric Shenander runs. Uh, you know, they're, they've got a tough schedule again. I've got them, you know, under eight easy. But I think market-wise, there's going to be money flowing in on the over on Nebraska. So maybe an eight and a half pops out there, and maybe I get a really great number on it. Uh, so you have to be able to read the market along with having a modeling number. And that's what we do week to week with point spread, too. Like, we see point spreads open up, and I'll, I'll say, I'll tweet out, I'll say, hey, that's four points off. But if it's not going to go the way that I want, then I'm going to wait, and I'm going to buy it on Friday. Yeah, a concrete example of Nebraska was last year. I think that exact same yep. thing happened with Nebraska, and they got up to, what, sixth, their win mm-hmm. total? Yeah, you have to know which way the market's going to go. Like, I mean, everybody is going to be betting uh, certain teams over, and uh, not a lot of unders, though. There's a lot of win totals that get bet over, and if you like the under on a team, uh, you want to wait for it to rise a little bit and then kind of swoop in in August and take an under. 
you know, it's actually different for the group of five because nobody pays attention to the group of five teams. And that's where the value on the over is because there's teams like UAB. Uh, I can tell you right now, Stuckey's probably going to have an over on UTEP uh, this year. So, uh, and I'll join them. But, uh, Minor you know, the group of five is where the, yeah, the group of five is where the overs are. All right. Well, let's talk about that for a second. Give me your, while we take it out of here, give me your teams that you are most bullish on their season win totals. The, the over and the under. Okay. So the two over bets that I'm looking to place right now uh, is going to be uh, Oklahoma State. That's over six. That's a ridiculous number. I know it's juiced right now, but that, I mean, if it gets to, it's a play at six. It's a play at six and a half. Listen, Gundy hasn't finished with less than seven wins since his first year in, what, I think 2005 is last time. Uh, he has admitted his mistakes of being lazy. He said that he got into uh, – he got kind of into trusting Rudolph and uh, Washington that they were there for so long at Oklahoma State that he trusted them in the routine and practice, and he kind of laid off on micromanaging last year. Uh, it showed in the offensive line. It showed in their trench play. Uh, but this is still a team that, that, that beat OU. This is, I'm sorry, this is a team that beat West Virginia, a team that beat Texas, and came within a two-point conversion of beating OU. Uh, they went and got Princeton's offensive coordinator. Uh, they're going to be fantastic this year. I know there's still a quarterback battle. Uh, but they're gonna they're gonna eclipse six wins. The other one, and this is probably gonna be the boldest statement of the podcast. Not only do I like Utah over eight and a half, I like Utah to go to the I, I like Utah to go to the college football playoff. And what? I know that's a bold statement. <laughs> that's a pretty bold statement. But just hear me out on this Utah going to the playoff thing. First off, you know a team from the Pac-12 going to the playoff. That's crazy. These guys are 21st in returning production, third on offense. Uh, and they get their quarterback, Tyler Huntley, back. They get their running back, Zach Moss, back. They were injured at the end of the year. Uh, they didn't play in that three-point loss to Washington in the Pac-12 championship game. They are extremely deep, extremely talented. They're multiple. They are very well coached. Uh, you know, and they're going into their big game against USC. That's going to decide the South. They're coming off a game against Idaho State, as where USC's just got this crazy schedule where just every week is going to be a pothole they can fall into, and not to mention just things are not going well with that program. Utah has a schedule conducive to getting to the Pac-12 championship game with one loss and being able to play their way into the playoff. A 10-to-1 bet on Utah to win the Pac-12? Please, yes. Uh, they have not released odds on Utah to make the college football playoff. I'll be investing in that. And whether Utah comes out around a pick to win the Pac-12 South, I'll limit that. that. I love Utah this year. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> Stuck, I will give you 30 seconds to try to top that, but you can't. Well, no, I won't. I mean, Colin is fully immersed in the pool. I start all of my team total work on June 1. I mean, I'm right now I'm – watching tennis, hockey, baseball. So, uh, I'm, you know, once June 1 rolls around, we can shut off another couple of sports. But I have, you know, I, I dabble. Uh, and I, I was actually going to mention Utah, funny enough, but I'll mention UTEP. The Miners, what are they, 1 in 27 <laughs> over the last three seasons or something? Um, yeah. But, and we are, my favorite bet last year was UTEP under one and two and a half or whatever, two, whatever, whatever crazy number they put out there. But I think that they can win three or four games this year with their schedule. You know, they bring back a lot. They have their best recruiting class in the last 10 years. The, the market is just so low on them after what they've seen. UTEP over, I'm going to get on the good graces of El Paso and Minor Nation this year. I got them at 2.9. I'll be right there with you. So three wins it is.
Oh my God. This is why I love the colleges podcast. And when I love that you guys work at the action network, because you have strong opinions about the UTEP miners and their season win total down to the decimal point. <laughs> I feel like that's a good spot to close. And uh, I think Jesus will be back. So do you just want to take over the whole podcast? You just want to, you want to do the, the ad read too, stuck? <laughs> no, I'll let you do that. Listen, guys, great, great work. Colin Wilson, senior writer, Action Network. Um, official congratulations to Colin Wilson, who had been a contributor and is now joining Action Network full-time. I couldn't be more grateful. I'm proud. I can't, I can't wait to just tear it up for the Action Network. You deserve this, man. You freaking killed this. You made it impossible not to bring you on full-time because your stuff is so good. People love you in the app. Uh, and your passion is undeniable. You willed this to happen. You were like, you know, Danny with a dragon. <laughs> well, she's only got one left, so let's, let's clarify here. The, you know, the Game of Thrones is getting down to the end, but she's just careless. I mean, she lost a dragon, but yes. Yes, hopefully I can be as, as tenacious as Drogon, so. I, I think you will be. All right, Stucky, th- you know, thanks to you for coming on, too, and trying to steal my job. Sure, sure, um, sure. Uh, All right. This has been the favorites from the Action Network. Downloaded at Apple Podcasts at radio.com slash the Action Network. Listen later this week. Blackjack Fletcher will be back on the show. Until next time, love you. Love you.